This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad to have you with me here again. And I'm happy to start off the year with the great Thelma Adams, author, (laughs) film critic. Thank you so much for joining me again. I am so happy. And when I wrote about this topic, I turned to you to talk about it. This is something I've been thinking about a lot. And um, for everyone, Thelma wrote an amazing article about this topic that we're going to talk about, Mothers. An article called Screenplay Contenders from the Lost Daughter to Spencer Grapple with Messy Emotions of Motherhood. It's on Variety, so you can check that out. And I just want to say before we start, I'm sorry if I sound unusual this time because I'm starting the year off with a terrible flu, not COVID. I tested negative and we're not in the same room, Thelma and I, so (laughs) I'm not going to get you sick. I'm excited to talk about this topic. We're talking about mothers, the good, the bad, complicated, the beautiful. There's so many interesting portrayals about feelings surrounding motherhood in film and TV this season. We have The Lost Daughter, Parallel Mother, Succession, King Richard. We're going to get into several of the particular portrayals when we move along. And I just want to also say a little warning. We're going to talk a lot about the plot, so there will be spoilers as we analyze these portrayals of mothers. But before we get into the individual films and shows, Thelma, why is messy motherhood a theme that seems so prevalent right now? That's a really good question. (laughs) And I think it's one of the reasons it's prevalent is because you have women behind the screen. So when Maggie Gyllenhaal decided to do The Lost Daughter and having read the Elena Ferrante book that it's based on, it really twinned with her, it really impacted her. She really wanted to do this story. And I feel that to a certain extent, not a complete extent, to a certain extent, it's that as women come go behind the camera, as women choose the stories, the story of motherhood comes back again and again and again. And it's that we're not all Donna Reed. We're not, you know, mothers aren't all even I love Lucy. You know, there was a, there was a myth about what it was to be a mother and the motherhood experience is, is something that, that people that drive people. And also that people I think are ashamed if they're not perfect. Let's, mm-hmm. let's go in and talk about what motherhood is really like, both the sacrifices and joys. Very true. And I was also thinking, thinking about this topic is we spent a lot of years now in prestige TV and film talking about the Walter White, Tony Soprano, Don Draper, anti-hero character, the, the complicated man and diving into the psychology of fathers making difficult choices. 
analyzing um, the man. And I think that we've come to a point where we can actually look at women's messy things about women, emotional difficulties and, and, and motherhood and things that have been right. taboo to talk about that you actually maybe don't want to be with your children, that you leave your family. Um, there's a quote in The Lost Daughter where she says, I'm an unnatural mother. That's something that, as you were saying before, we we don't get to talk about that. Um, we, we get to see these things without making it taboo. And it's interesting that you took up the being the Ricardos, the Lucille Ball film. Their Sorkin also shows that she's like, she's pregnant in that movie, but right. she can't tell anyone. You weren't allowed to be on television as pregnant, which also becomes this whole big and thing. And people, I want to say this also, that people think that's something from the 50s. We're also talking about a generation of women, and I'm on the older end, of women who graduated from college, like the character in The Lost Daughter, who wanted to have a career, wanted to get married, wanted to have children, and then found out, then discovered how difficult it was to balance that, to juggle that. There wasn't, it, it was like there's a personal responsibility for the mother to be the air traffic controller of everything in the household, as well as the emotions and these mothers were in the workforce. So that, that there's so many dramatic conflicts inside that. Um, speaking to my own mother over the weekend about The Lost Daughter, which now is on Netflix and she caught up with it. And she was like, and I love my mother and she's a real movie goer, but she was like, I don't understand why Olivia Coleman is so prickly. Mm -hmm. And I think this leads to something that that these movies about mothers do, which is they allow the main character to be prickly, to be difficult, to be all those complicated things. What are we gonna do in like succession? Say, Jeremy Strong, stop being complicated, stop being unlikable, stop, blah, blah. But women tend to have to be, because they're mothers, if they step out of the box, they're chastised, they're not understood. Let's dive into The Lost Daughter. So the movie is directed by actor Maggie Gyllenhaal and it's an adaptation of an Elena Ferrante novel. It stars Olivia Colman as Leda. She's a professor on holiday in Greece and there she meets a big family on holiday, among others, uh, a young mother who's there with her daughter. And this brings up memories that we see in flashback. Jesse Buckley plays the younger version of Olivia Coleman. Leda has complicated feelings towards motherhood and to her daughters, and, and we found, find out later that she's actually left them for three years. And just as a side note, um, this movie was really powerful. It's one of my favorites of last year, and I realized watching it that I never really liked the Ferrante HBO adaptation of The Incredible book my brilliant friend um and i never really understood why but but seeing this i realized that that ferrante's stories are so interior you're really in the head of these women and i don't think they really manage that in the hbo series but maggie gyllenhaal really gets you into these mothers all the different characters heads and she just the magnificent um 
facial expressions of Olivia Coleman and all these really difficult thoughts that they're having are just brought out incredibly powerfully in this movie. So just as a side note. Also, I feel like Maggie Gyllenhaal and, and Ferrante, they, they use this moving back in time so that, and the Jesse Buckley character, who I think is brilliant. I really very much love this performance of Jesse Buckley's and how that her, she's the younger character, Lita, played by later by Olivia Coleman. And you see, I think what you see at the beginning is a woman who finally gets Olivia Coleman. She's finally doing what she wants to do. Like the, the girls are in, are over 20, her two daughters. And she's going to take a trip by herself to this idyllic island. And she's going to do exactly what she wanted to do when she was young, which is she's going to sit. And whether she's working on notes or working on her next book, she's an intellectual. She's going to enjoy the sea, the sun, have a beer, have a glass of wine. And she can't because no matter where she goes, She's drawn to the sticky messiness of life. She can't just sit alone on the beach with her mind and the sun. That part of it is, as a mother, she empathizes with this young mother who's struggling, who's struggling to be a wife, who's struggling to relax, who has this, who has this daughter. And there's this huge amount of affection between the daughter and the and the mother played by Dakota Johnson and mm -hmm. um I think one of the things that this movie shows is that yes life is full of affection and mothers are like mama lions and they have their their children around them but sometimes for a mom it's like they don't want to be touched anymore it's like they want to own their body back instead of having it be constantly either touched or... Yeah, poked at and the attention poked at. One of the things I thought was interesting seeing it again was, was I, I realized that Leda is, is, doesn't like any interruptions during her sort of when she's in her books and in her culture. It's the teenagers at the movies who are being assholes. It's the family's birthday party and the children. It's like she has this you know, intellectual, cultural space, that that's the brave part of the movie showing that she loves those girls, but they're taking such a big part of her. And, and the taboo part is that she leaves them for three years, we find out towards the end, um, which is something, a huge taboo. And I was thinking of this, Thelma, I was thinking of, you remember Kramer versus Kramer right. when, when Meryl mm -hmm. Streep leaves her child and there Dustin Hoffman gets brownie points because he learns how to make eggs for his kids and everyone's like hey he's not a great father and I, if you remember the hours that was the, the the mother who leaves the kids and and reverberations of it so really mm -hmm. leaving your kids is a taboo but I think also the taboo here is the thing that that most mothers are confronting which is when they're young mothers, when the kids are young, when the kids need to be watched almost constantly. And she has this big intellectual life and she does not have a partner who's either taking half of it mm -hmm. or satisfying her sexually. She wants to be seen. She wants to be seen. She wants agency. 
Um, and as I think about the movie more and more, there's this funny little scene that comes in where these, where she and her husband, it's Jesse Buckley, and they have the two little girls, and they invite these kind of hippie travelers. You know, they're uh, hitchhiking, and it's a man and a woman. They're obviously in love, and they're obviously having a great time. They're on a life is a big adventure. And then she discovers that the man has left his wife and his children, I don't know, in England, somewhere else. And there's that idea of it's possible to step away from your family. This can be done. It can be done. Look at how happy these people are. And yet one of the things we're dealing with later in life with Lita is that she is still living with her choice. Her relationship with her girls, that is the defining moment. It seems quite distant. Um, So she's living with some sort of guilt, even though she's, I think she thinks her choice was a good choice. You see how it thinks it was a good choice or it was the choice. Necessary choice. I never even thought about that, whether it was. I mean, just my own feeling is I feel that she wouldn't have done it differently. But let's move on to a... Let's pause and say, that is such a juicy movie that it inspired me to look at all of these movies in a different frame. And then we can, let's move on. Yeah, because I want to move on to a a mom who doesn't give a shit, seemingly, about having left her children. (laughs) And that's uh, Lady Caroline Collingwood, ex-wife of Logan Roy, mother of Kendall, Shiv, and Roman, who in the last season of Succession told her daughter that she should have had dogs instead of children and then proceeded to throw all the kids under the bus in the amazing last scene of season three, um, played to perfection by Dame Harriet Walter. Now, Lady Caroline, what do you... What do you want to say about this mother? What's amazing about this is that she is a self-centered individual. She just is. She likes her pleasure. She likes her kids around as long as they're not problematic. And they're always problematic. That realization that in their divorce, she gave up the kids in part because no one wanted them that the father (laughs) wanted to win the divorce. And so he got the kids. Did he want to raise them? Out of spite. Spite. And the kids are, their fight for mommy, daddy love is, is there until the very, very end. You know what I love about this character is that she is just as evil as, I mean, Logan Roy, who makes his grandson taste the potentially poisoned mozzarella before he does. This character, Caroline, there's no, we don't have to think about whether she feels any doubt or anything. She's just, she gets to be just as evil and just as much a spider in the web. I also want to pause here, just put a pin in it and just say, she's marrying a guy that's feckless and jolly. And her all her kids are going, he's using you. He's this, he's that. <laughs> she just wants a, a boy toy or a companion or, and she yeah. knows that this exists. She's aware mm-hmm. that, that he's using her and that he's not whatever. 
and he makes her happy. And so what she's doing is maybe not, yes, it's not good for the kids. She's constantly doing the thing that makes her happy. She wants the London apartment. And so she negotiates for the London apartment in the divorce re-examination. And she sells the kids out because the kids don't make her happy. The one that we do see that it really affects is, of course, Shiv in a very powerful scene. You know, the one I mentioned where she tells her daughter, Caroline tells Shiv that she should have had dogs instead. And then how Shiv handles the whole discussion about freezing her egg. She also feels like a very unnatural mother. She does seem like an unnatural mother. She doesn't seem like, I mean, I think a lot of people... Whatever natural whatever is. Natural is. I mean, and I always think definition. Carol, Carol King, you know, I feel like a natural woman. So this natural yeah. mother, unnatural mother, she, Shiv has just a really shitty family situation. There's just no, you know, she wants her father's love. She, he turns on her in scene after scene, to, you know, he plays with her. The whole thing is destabilizing. The rivalry between the children is baked into the family. That Can you imagine how vulnerable Shiv would be towards her brothers if she was suddenly a mother? And Yeah, she has to be at the same level. And also, you know, going back to that theme of the messiness of motherhood, I've seen a million headlines about this now, the messiness of motherhood and lost daughter. It's not that it's messy. It's that if you don't become the responsible adult in the room and make difficult choices, then you're doomed to failure. So Harriet Walter also plays Rebecca's mother in Ted Lasso, another very complicated (laughs) and interesting mother and funny as hell. So yeah, she's having an incredible year. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wanted to talk about Ingenue Ellis in King Richard, a little bit of a different portrayal of a mother. Completely. So this is Will Smith's, he plays Richard, the father of Serena and Venus Williams, um, the tennis stars. And Ingenue is his wife and their mother, mother of many girls. They were, what, six children in the family? Five or six girls. And uh, she, to me, is just one of the absolute gems of that movie. What do you make of that portrayal? Well, I think it's interesting because the movie's called King Richard. You know, it's about the dad, but it is produced by Serena and Venus, executive produced. They were involved in this. So what's interesting is they're not whitewashing their past. They're not, they're not saying, oh, we came from this perfect from this perfect family. And what you get in the mother, Richard is very driven and almost, I would say, like manic depressive. Like he's making the girls practice and he has this idea. And, and, and But it's their mother who provides A, the balance and the support that they need. She tries to keep the family yeah, balanced. Um, and meanwhile, she's the one who's 
working two shifts at a nurse, as a nurse. She's the one who's making dinner, doing laundry, all of that. You know, if they're, if they're going and practicing tennis all the time, there's a lot of laundry. Also, interestingly, training them as well. You see in the movie that there's several of the, you know, when he only can train one at a time, she's training the other one and several of the stances that they were known for, they say were because of their mother, but she doesn't need people telling her she's the best. I mean, Richard needed that. Yeah. Yeah. He had the bigger ego. I think what's interesting is also, and what I talk about in this article, when I was talking to the screenwriter. Um, Zach Balin is that she, that the actual mother came in and, and she's not an extroverted character the way Richard is. And so the challenge was, how do you show this force of nature, this woman who's really making it happen, who's taking care of the kids, but isn't running around going, hey, it's me. And so you get these really amazing scenes where she goes across the street and tells off the neighbor. And the neighbor is living, it's a single woman living alone and she's always poking in their business. And she had one daughter who's now a streetwalker apparently. And, and the mother goes over and just in the fewest words possible tells her, you know how hard it is to raise children, to raise a daughter, excuse me. You know how hard it is to raise a daughter you know how hard it is to raise five in Compton. So don't yeah, we know each other. Don't yeah. screw with me because I have enough on my plate. Don't add to the trouble. Very powerful. And also the scene where she tells her husband, I am here for the girls, but you're monkeying around. I love that. I am not that. I think again and again, you get this thing of, is she a mother first or a wife first? Or in going back to succession and the big mama there, is she an individual first? Well, she's all of it. That's what makes that portrayal so good. I mean, she's everything and has to be everything and has to have all those balls in the air. She does it so well and so quietly and so dignified. I thought that was excellent. Excellent. And and it's just so interesting because the movie's called King Richard. And yet she, in many senses, it's as much about her as it is about him. But I'm wondering if that, because it's a Will Smith movie that they wanted to, you know, focus on that or, you know, for what reason they didn't call it Venus and Serena. I think that's a question I don't know the answer to. And people have criticized this movie and they're like, it's a movie about female tennis stars. Why aren't they center court? And the Mm -hmm. truth is, it's not really a movie about tennis stars female tennis stars it's about no it's about this family family that created them yeah and also i would and also i would say about the film that it's very exciting to see the tennis part so you have the tennis part and them getting better and then and them moving up as young black girls in a very white rich sport on one hand and then you have this family dynamic on the other so it's complicated it's interesting And I want to turn back to TV because I thought there were two really interesting mothers in, and did you ever get a chance to see Maid? No, I didn't. I haven't seen Maid yet. Then I will just talk about that real quick. 
Margaret Qualley plays a young woman who's in in an abusive relationship. She's poor. She's a single mom. The series is basically her having to get out of that relationship, starting a new life, and she becomes a maid to make ends meet. Her mother in the series is played by Margaret Qualley's real-life mother, Andy McDowell, who plays a very interesting bipolar um, character who's there for her in some ways because she needs her, but at the same time, she's the Margaret Qualley character has been her mother uh, to her own mother, her own right. life. And it's a really interesting uh, dynamic between the two of them and very interesting, both of these characters. So I can recommend that. So moving on to a darker one, which I thought you wrote so well about. So I'm going to quote you here. And that's a movie called Mass, um, a really tough but incredible watch. It's a movie about two sets of parents one set, their child was murdered in a school shooting, and the other set, their child was the murderer. Um, and it's basically a forehander. You write in your article, in mass, we see that even if we are good parents, good mothers, our children might literally grow up to be murderers or murdered. So many other factors play in. That was a very powerful movie about parenthood. And I want to pause and just thank Molina Saval, who's my editor at Variety, because she was the one who talked about mass in that way. And she, and she was the one who suggested I write this. This is something that's resonating with a lot of people. And this movie, it's also, we are the first generation of parents who are dealing with kids who grew up during the social media age. And as a nation, we didn't realize what, how would this impact our children? We just didn't know. And our children grew up in this, in this technology and were more agile. So when they got into problems, we didn't really know how to solve them. And we still don't. And we know this because when you talk to, you know, Zuckerberg at Facebook or the, you know, at Instagram, they know it's damaging to children, but they don't want, I mean, what's the hard question is, what's the answer? Yes. What I found was so powerful in mass also is the question of absorbing the guilt of your children and the incredible need to understand. Martha Plimpton, the mother of the murdered child, so desperately needs an explanation from the mother of the murderer, played by Anne Dowd, why did your son do it? Did you ever see any signs? And Dowd just desperately wants to give these answers, but she can't. And ultimately, the movie asks, you know, what is forgiveness? That I thought was very powerful. It's so hard. Just go, just talking about motherhood, not movies per se, but just that my generation, the next generation, we went off to have our careers and we had our children and most people are not part of a big tribe anymore. Not all people, some people are, but you know, so you didn't have your mother, your grandmother, your aunt helping you to raise the kids. And so it's a lot of responsibility that fell on working mothers because I don't think this is really about just plain old motherhood. It's about working mothers and the struggle to have a have 
have an equal presence in the public world and all these responsibilities in the domestic frame. Yeah, the mothers that we are mostly talking about here are, are sort of modern day mothers. These are not 50s mothers with another set of very difficult misogynist issues. This is an, another type of, you know, you see choices and, and taking, you do take them, but the guilt that comes with that and the consequences that comes with that is very different. Right. The Queen's Gambit has a very interesting mother or adoptive mother played by Mariel Heller. And so this is a case where she's hugely talented, but is afraid herself to go and play the piano in public, but she really supports her daughter. But it's still a kind of weird relationship. Yes, she supports the daughter and they start going around the country. It's like a business. It's like a business. Yeah. And they're, they've been deserted by the father. It's just the adopted mother and the chess champion. It was a while ago since I saw it, but wasn't Marianne Hell, she's, she's like a woman from another generation. She's definitely the 50s. Yeah, she's she's drinking. She's not happy in that relationship. And, and somehow the two of them who are both sort of emotionally detached, but they find each other in that. There's a mutual respect. You like their relationship, yeah. even though it doesn't seem very warm or, or and they sort of use each other in a good way. They do. They do have a good relationship. And part of that is because the mother respects the intellect of the daughter. But mm. ultimately, I think the mother's tragedy there is that she wants something very, she wants something relatively simple. She wants love. She wants that so bad. And so when she has an affair during one of the tournaments and they're in Mexico, and she has like a, you know, a week or two of someone interested in her and they go dancing and and then it stops and he dumps her. She just can't go on. The last ones I have here are a little group. And the reason they're in a group is because they all came out of Venice for right. me and for you probably around that, around that time as well. And that's Almodovar's Parallel Mothers, The Power of the Dog and Spencer. And Spencer. So Almodovar, we have to say, is the master of the mother-daughter and also mother-son relationship. I mean, you were talking about this community of women and people around him. He's, he's mastered that. Really loved Pain and Glory, which was kind of semi- Loved it. His own mother and how it was a difficult relationship, but they loved each other all through. What do you make of these two women in Parallel Mothers? Well, let's, you know, referring to Pain and Glory also and referring to his past movies, Penelope Cruz has come- to play the mother role very often. So she's played this kind of perfect mother, this image of the perfect mother before where she just is beautiful and she sings and she's this life force. And I find what's interesting about this is that one of the things that it addresses, Parallel Mothers, is how the Penelope Cruz character who is a successful photographer and has her own household and has her own source of income, but also the way that the mother figure that she also runs the household 
And I've rarely seen this in kind of a movie where even as she's doing all the other business, she has someone that she's seeing, she's, she's connecting with the other mother who the young teen who had a child at the same time and they're interfacing. She's teaching the other young mother, this is how you cook. This is how you run a house. This is, yes, they have, they have help but she's running that house and you really see that's a huge part of being a mother. It just, and she does it kind of so effortlessly. And I think that movie is all about the sense of community, both the, the two women at the center, but also the sort of side story about Spain's history, you know, and Franco and, and finding your, your relatives and what happened to them, that you need to find each other and chosen family and coming together. And at the beginning, everyone is sort of pulled apart. Penelope Cruz decides to have a baby on her own. So that father's not there. The other mother, um, the young girl who's pregnant, who doesn't want to be pregnant, she's her own mother, way too egotistical and doesn't help her own daughter with her grandchild. Everyone is sort of pulled away from each other until the end where you see what happens and they all come together. Right. It doesn't have to be your biological family in order to be part of what he sees as women as mothers. I mean, he really liked motherhood. Just briefly talking about, it starts because the Penelope Cruz character is talking to a forensic anthropologist, I want to say archaeologist, about this horror that had happened to her great-grandfather during the Franco era, village. where basically all the men of a village were taken out shot and put in an unmarked grave. So the other kind of subplot of the movie is this, is mother as memory, that Penelope right. Cruz is trying to disinter uh, her great grandfather and these, and these vi village elders who were summarily shot by Franco, by Franco's army. And through that, she is, she's, She's Ancestry.com. She's family. That mothers also carry history. And that's the other part of motherhood, which is keeping families together, keeping the memories of the past, standing up for injustice. Let's talk Diana. I mean, everyone, even though you haven't seen Spencer, you most likely know Diana as also the mother of two boys and um, who really had her ripped away um, in the most cruel possible public way. How does Spencer deal with her as a mother? Fascinating. I, I would say, you know, and given the crown also had a Lady Diana and there's Lady Diana, the musical. I, and as someone who has grown up with, with the Diana image, I remember being out of college and like going, being in Washington, D.C., working and going to the now famous Willard Hotel because there was a big TV so that I could see her in her wedding dress. I feel like I had gotten tired of her. I just wasn't really thinking there was anything more that could be said. And then I saw Spencer. And that and the Christian Stewart performance, Pablo Lorraine, what he's done here is shown how she was a yummy mummy, how she was warm, how she loved these kids and how they responded to that. And she had been deceived. Her husband loves someone else. 
she was in this family with her children and she did not own herself or her family. Now I have some issues with the movie. (laughs) um, The best part of the movie is Diana and the boys and Kristen Stewart's performances radiant flawless i just felt that pablo lorraine when he's done other biopics about women i mean this is not a traditional biopic but jackie onassis he's given them another sort of agency i've understood something new about them after that movie i i did not feel that i did that really in spencer which i found was more he was playing with the horror film elements and i think that was kind of slight The scenes with the boys are beautiful. Exactly what you're saying, how warm she is and how much they don't get that from anywhere else. And how she, when she comes in, she just envelops them in warmth. She's always putting jackets on them. She's always, you know, it's so cold in there. There's all these elements. There literally is that, that that it's literally cold. (laughs) But at the same time, uh, it's a very complicated picture because you can actually see in several scenes that they're scared of her emotional outbursts. There's one scene where William is saying, please, mommy, please just come to dinner. And and as a viewer, you're like, yes, just go to dinner. So he doesn't feel that, you know, just do whatever you're there right. for two days, go down and have dinner. You know what I mean? And I thought that, <laughs> that was a really interesting there he complicated her, that her dynamic was also maybe think, making things difficult. It could have been pretty easy for her to just take those two days and then leave. And I thought that was interesting. And yeah. you could see how the boys, what they took from her and also how it was difficult for them. So I really liked that part of it. And I thought it was also a very complicated showing of a mother. You know, and talking to Mike Mills, who wrote, wrote who directed Come On, Come On, He talks about the fact that you cannot hide who you are, that your children see you, yes, at at your best, but they also see you when you break down. And there's that scene in Spencer where they're in this enormous, in Sandringham, this enormous country house, estate, lawns everywhere, places, and there she and the two sons, William and Harry, are in a small bedroom that looks like a normal bedroom with twin beds, the boys' room. And they're huddled together like a mom and her pups. And I feel like Lorraine really squeezes that little scene to manifest both the connection between the mother and the sons, and also because the connection is so strong, they witness her torment. Something I've said before is like, you know, what they tell people is to put on the oxygen masks on you and then help the kids. She doesn't have her oxygen mask on. She's so, she's not going down to that dinner because she's bulimic and the queen is going to ask her, is going to kind of force her to eat everything that's on the plate. And I also feel that Lorraine's saying that she's not going to that dinner because she's done with it. She's also giving them a little bit of the finger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is my is what I take from it. Exactly. You're she so could have right. walked down, sat there for two hours, ate that thing, went up with her boys again, and just be done with it. But of course, after all the torment she's been put through, she's had it up to here, and you can. And I feel that he is showing both her agency there, but also that she's quite unstable and. If he would have continued on that theme, it would have been a movie that would have affected me more. But um, that's another topic. Fascinating point. Mm -hmm. 
And I want to end up with another mother whose son takes a lot of responsibility. And that's another one of my favorites from this year. And that's The Power of the Dog. Power of the Dog. We have Kirsten Dunst, who plays a single mother to a, what, what is he, like 17, 18-year-old Yeah, I think 17, boy. 18, because he's, yeah. he's just starting to go to medical school. and uh... She gets married to her real-life husband, Jesse Plemons, who's the brother of Benedict Cumberbatch character, who is a real, I'd just say, evil cowboy. <laughs> I would just say evil or just he's a bully because he's afraid of being bullied himself if people knew who he really was and therefore he's created this bullying persona which helps him succeed in the west but takes him farther and farther and farther away from who he really is so if you go to lost daughter what she she made her sacrifice lita made her sacrifice by being true to herself damn the consequences and here in the benedict cumberbatch character you see someone who made an accommodation 25 years before and it's created this man who's not happy with himself and therefore is going to make anybody everyone's life unhappy what's the name of the boy he he plays it to perfection the son i'm now slipping on his name Cody Smith McPhee or something. Cody Smith, he's magnificent. So the movie begins with he helps her in the kitchen. They have seem to have a very good relationship. But as the movie goes on and she's more and more tortured by the Benedict Cumberbatch character, and she starts drinking, she starts, you know, really disintegrating in front of our eyes and in front of her son's eyes. And you get the feeling that he's seen or I got the feeling that perhaps this was something that had happened with his own father previously and that he spent his young life protecting his mother, which he does here again in his own way. <laughs> to a very- phrase that will make, help people understand who have not seen the movie, that her husband, his father, and they don't make a big deal about it, but that he committed suicide and left them in the middle of the, you know, the frontier to fend for themselves. And the son was the one who cut him down. The movie starts, when I saw it again, I didn't realize that that he actually says something to the likes of, you're not a man if you don't protect your mother or something like that. So on seeing it again, I didn't really think about that the first right. time, but the movie's really about their relationship much more than, than I realized the first right. time I saw it when I was thinking so much about Benedict and this and that, but, but their relationship and her motherhood is very strong because she's just doing the best goddamn job. She's trying the best she can. She's really trying the best she can. And you see at the beginning when she's, she's has this in and she's making dinner and she's, for for travelers and guests and you know go out and kill me three chickens and you know all of this stuff that she really has it together to a certain extent and then when she accepts love into her life and she meets this man Jesse Plemons and and they get married with hardly knowing each other that that her kind of reaching for happiness also has negative repercussions. 
This is a woman from a time and an era and a place there in the frontier where you weren't, she had her own business. She had, you know, pulled herself up by her bootstraps and with her and her son. And then, you know, she finds happiness and it's almost like it's, uh, here's your punishment. Right. No good deed goes unpunished. As a relationship between a mother and son, you see that they're simpatico from the very beginning. Oh, I love- They're completely in sync. He's helping her. She's helping him. She wants him included. He makes these little paper flowers, which for that time were way too effeminate. But she, oh, let's put them on the table. And she's just always, this is so lovely. And come do this and help me with that. And, and you know, interested in him in a way that I thought was quite beautiful. And what happens is the worst possible thing for her is that he starts having in his own relationship with her tormentor. Right, with Benedict Cumberbatch. And there is a question of whether, where that's going to go, mm-hmm. whether it's going to, they, whether they're going to become lovers, whether they're going to, you know, wh- what are they doing out in the wilderness? Ultimately, we Who's find using out. Who's using who? And we don't want to ruin it. We don't want to ruin it for everybody. Um, also, I just want to, there's some other movies that kind of click in. Yeah, please. And I would say the worst person in the world which I love, the Norwegian Oscar contender. One of my one favorites. One of my favorites, yeah. but also an early discussion between the couple is whether they want children right. and whether they're both at the same stage. She's younger, he's ready, she's not, she doesn't know. And so is it any less about mothers, that discussion of, do I wanna be a mother? And the fact that you don't want children here again almost surprising to the men she's with right. and and it's something it's also a taboo it's also a taboo and they do show the other couple who has kids and how messy and stressy it is on the mother it's a side story but it's right there there's another fantastic norwegian movie called ninja baby which also has a theme of um, a young girl who well she's not that young i mean she was be perfectly capable to to be a mother it does not want to have children and the whole movie is a really interesting look at those feelings that are so taboo i can really it's really funny i'll take i'll take a look the other last one i want to recommend to people is petite maman which is about a little girl who's eight who i wouldn't say magically but supernaturally somehow ends up meeting her mother when her mother was eight, not knowing that it's her mother. And these two eight-year-old girls played by sisters connect. And it's like, what would it have been like? What vision, what idea would you have about your mother if you had met her at eight and played house with her? What, how would that have changed your notion of who she was? who she was as a woman, who she became to you as a mother. Yeah, that's such an interesting um, idea. Celine Sciamma in, in a movie that's what, 80 minutes? Amazing. It's really compact. It's one of my, it's a gem. And because it's not as portrait, portrait of a woman on fire was so dynamic and every shot was, it, I think it was more accessible. This one, because it's, this one seems smaller but the emotions in it 
are huge and she is one of my favorite favorite directors she's become one of my favorite directors so we're ending up with another female director here at the end of the show so your point as to a lot of these not all but Uh a lot of these movies that we've had that really have an interesting lens on complicated motherhood and women have come from um, some incredible female filmmakers but but this year I've got to say it's been a hard year. We know that. Um, thank God for Succession and all these great, great TV TV shows. But also, I have to say, a lot of really strong movies came out. Great year for movies. It's been a great year for movies. Thelma, on, the, on a, such a positive note, good movies this year. Thank you so much again. This is so interesting. A pleasure. I love talking about this with you. Thank you so much. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are we are always unpacking that very question on sleepover cinema check out sleepover cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com see you soon